depending on where you read, there's a lot of mixed information about safety. Some people do assume that because they come from plants, there's no concerns with them, but we do know that uh, they have an effect. And the other kind of myth, misconception, or more just area of confusion is what is an essential oil versus the carrier oils and kind of just getting some knowledge on that when you start using essential oils so you know what you're looking for. Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Stacy Lemkin. Stacy is a pediatric pharmacist and certified aromatherapist who has spent more than 10 years providing clinical pharmacy services and supports providers and families who care for medically complex kids and adolescents. You may remember her from episode 44, where she spoke to us about pediatric patient advocacy, but today she's here to talk to us about aromatherapy. Grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Hi, Stacey. Welcome back to the Good Health Cafe. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's exciting to have you. We're going to be talking about aromatherapy today, another interest of yours. So why don't we jump right in and start by telling us, Stacey, what is aromatherapy? Simply put, aromatherapy is the use of essential oils. And also when we talk about aromatherapy, it can be that like smelling anything. So it depends on where you read the definition. So often we think of it as essential oil use, but it's really that aroma piece of it that also ties in. So depending on who you talk to, there's a few very definitions, but my scope is more in terms of the use of essential oils for aromatherapy. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because when I was researching aromatherapy, I was like, well, which one is it? Is it essential oils or is it any type of aroma? Because you're right. (laughs) Seems to be split on what it is. Now, what are the benefits of aromatherapy? There's tons of benefits and depends on the essential oil, but the main benefits overall are kind of taking and connecting with the plants and that general approach and slowing down. And a lot of aromatherapy is used more for that wellness standpoint of sleep, sometimes a good one, calming, stress relief. Uh, You can use it for therapeutic properties, but a lot of aromatherapy falls more on that wellness bubble. So then can you get the same wellness experience, the same benefits if you use scents that are not essential oils? Yeah. So when we look at getting very technical for a second, the (laughs) how aromas impact in general our health. Uh, the sense of smell is super powerful. And then we also separate that from essential oils do have benefits that we know based on our chemical composition. So when we're just looking at the part of aromatherapy as the sense of smelling things for different therapy reasons, yeah, like you can get benefit from smelling anything. So candles that might not be made with essential oils, but might have a lavender scent to them can still have a response system when you smell that scent because of your sense of smell being so powerful and being directly connected to your limbic system and having that reaction as well as being connected to a lot of your experiences as a child and positive and negative experiences with sense of smell. So that's why, right, when you walk into somebody else's kitchen and you're like, oh, this just reminds me, I'm so relaxed being in this person's house because it smells this way. So that's the power of different aromas and aromatherapy. 
I love that example. It's actually exactly what I was thinking about when you said, well, even just the sense of smell can be calming. I, I think of like grandma's kitchen or something, you know, when you think back and you get that smell of fresh bread or something and it just does something to you. <laughs> yes, it does. And then when we add in the essential oils, we do have evidence that's starting to say that they actually do have a chemical reaction. Uh, so you kind of have a dual purpose with aromatherapy and when you're using essential oils. I heard you say limbic system, Stacey. What does that mean? What is the limbic system? So the limbic system is part of the brain that has some regulatory and it's often associated with a lot of those benefits in terms of emotional processing, motivation, learning. So it can impact different parts of how you react to certain. It has a lot of functions, but when we're talking about aromatherapy, uh, that's what it's often talked about. And so I, th I think sometimes a question that might come up is, is it safe? I mean, listening to you, it sounds like it, it is. It's it's smell. It's plants. You know, <laughs> is it safe? Is there anything to be worried about? Of course, there's always something to be worried about when we're talking about the use of essential oils, right? So when we're talking about smell, we're going to go away from that definition moving forward. We'll talk more about the use of essential oils for aromatherapy. So there are chemical components to them. So of course, anytime there is a reaction in the body that can happen from a chemical nature, that it can have safety concerns. And we often think of aromatherapy and essential oils for using them more for smell. So having a diffuser in your room and I do pediatrics. <laughs> so kids, some of those kids can be very sensitive to smells and there are some concerns with even using essential oils for smell too close to kids or in higher concentrations. Mm -hmm. And then the other, when we think of aromatherapy more from the just use of essential oils definition, we also will use them topically and apply them uh, for different reasons. And when we start putting anything in our bodies, there can be adverse skin reactions associated with it. And going back to my kids' example, sometimes that can get absorbed into their skin and they can have actually concentrations in their body. And then I will note, I don't ever recommend ingesting. There's lots of mixed opinions out there and people will say that you can ingest them. And some people have safely studied how to ingest them. But from the general population standpoint, there's definitely going to be way more safety concerns if you are adjusting something that's super potent because their essential oils are very potent. So how then do you know how much you should use or how much is too much? Oh, that's the million dollar question. So there are guidelines out there for how much to use when we're talking about topical application. In general, you would use one to three percent. I know that we're not going to all go calculate that out. So if you're making products, if you're buying a product from somebody, you should be mindful of like, are they just telling you there's tons of essential oils in there? Or do you think, are you comfortable with that? They might know how much is in there. So there are general safety ranges that are reported out there and guidelines if people study become aromatherapists that have a lot more knowledge in terms of kind of where the safety is. However, some of it does depend on the essential oil. And for some people, it's way too much. If you have really sensitive skin, 1% uh, might be all that you can ever do of that essential oil product. When it comes to inhalation, it's a little bit more based on, like, can you, is your whole room smell like? 
you pour the whole bottle of lavender all over? <laughs> or is it just a mild smell and isn't giving you a headache because you put way too much lavender into the diffuser? So the more of this, how much is too much is a little bit less on the inhaled side, generally more on that topical, like applied side if you're using it. It's funny that you talk about the inhaled side because that's actually what I was thinking about. I was like, okay, so if you put on your diffuser and you've got some essential oils in there, do you actually need to think about, well, how long has that been on? You know, because one hour versus three hours of exposure make a difference or not necessarily? Not necessarily. One of the big things with the inhalation of essential oils or smelling them is headaches can be common. Some of them can help with headaches, but then if you have it on for four hours and it gives you a headache, maybe that was too long. And then you can cycle it on and off. So some of it is very person-specific in terms of, are you sensitive to that smell? For you, you might get a headache from peppermint and I might want to have it all just diffused all day long. It'd be completely fine. Right. So it is also depends on that. So from an infused standpoint, you're kind of saying like, does it make you feel worse? <laughs> and then you probably went too far. And a lot of diffusers do have like auto shutoffs on them. And right. so that's kind of a good marker. That makes sense. What exactly is an essential oil? Is it only plant compounds or are there other things normally mixed in a jar? Pure essential oil, it should only be plant compounds. It's a highly concentrated plant substance. And there's a lot, a lot of plants naturally make an essential oil. So they you take that plant part, or maybe not you, but somebody takes the plant part and uh, extracts out the essential oil part of the plant and puts that right into the bottle. So you only have the super concentrated part of the essential oils, nothing else in it. What gets super confusing and is Sometimes you'll see essential oil products mixed in another oil and you hear the same term oil, oil. So you might say like, oh, this is essential oil, but really it's not. It's a herbal salve with essential oils in it. So if you're buying a pure essential oil, yes, it's all plant product. Not saying people don't contaminate them and don't try to alter them in some way, shape, or form, but they shouldn't be if they're considered pure essential oils. Given, I think oftentimes that we're not ingesting it or at least not supposed to ingest it. Does it matter if it's kind of diluted? Will we still get the same benefits? For inhaling, you definitely want the pure essential oil because most diffusers cannot because you have water in them. And then the if it's in a base oil, it won't mix. So essential oils have some water solubility to them, but olive oil does not, right? You're not going to mix olive oil and water. So you do, if you're mixing it in a diffuser, want the pure essential oil. From a topical standpoint, you actually want to start with a pure essential oil, but you want to mix it with something. So I would always say if you have essential oils at home and you want to put it on your skin, it should always be mixed with something. You would never put a pure essential oil directly on your skin. Again, I will say whoever is listening might hear different things out there. Um, People do have different approaches, but that is my approach is they are so concentrated. You don't need to put that much on. You should dilute it. And then when you're buying products, if you're going to use them topically, you could buy them already diluted. So it kind of depends on what you have and what you're looking for. If you want to try to make your own recipes or if you want to just mix it with a simple oil or you want to buy from somebody who's already working with the essential oils that's made that recipe for you. 
What are some potential options for diluting it? What do people typically dilute it in? The common ones out there are basically any oil that can be used for skin. So coconut oil seems to be very common. I found jojoba oil. If you don't want like an actual oil and you want to mix it in a product like shea butter or plain lotions, people can mix it in. I do that one a lot because it's super easy to make sure lotions smell good. And and uh, I prefer lotion over like a butter, a body butter. So there's almost anything out out there that is kind of a pure base you can mix it in. Do you feel like there are any myths or misconceptions related to aromatherapy that are worthy of dispelling? In terms of the safety, for sure, I want to highlight that depending on where you read, there's a lot of mixed information about safety. Some people do assume that because they come from plants, there's no concerns with them, but we do know that uh, they have an effect. And the other kind of myth, misconception, or more just area of confusion is what is an essential oil versus the carrier oils and kind of just getting some knowledge on that when you start using essential oils so you know what you're looking for. I think I could keep going. So I'm just going to give a few more and yeah. then we can pause. <laughs> have a yeah, whole <laughs> uh, the other big one we're talking about, like use of essential oils and picking out products is there are lots of different companies that make essential oils that try to say one is better than the other. Um, this one's therapeutic grade. Uh, that one isn't, so you should buy my product. But there is no certification done that says one product is better than the other. Uh, you really want to look if they're doing like third-party testing or have what's called a GCMS report available. You don't necessarily have to know how to read it, but if they're making sure that's available, then that means they're testing their product for purity and contamination and that gives me a little bit more sense that they care about the quality of their product uh, versus just kind of buying whatever's on the shelf. What are some tips on getting started if someone wanted to get started with aromatherapy? Keep it simple. It's so easy to get overwhelmed or get distracted by, I don't want to use lavender because everyone uses lavender, but those are powerful essential oils with some great benefits. So start with what's available. Start with what's out there. Uh, you don't have to go find the rarest essential oil <laughs> out there at all. Start with what's like affordable and cost-effective and see if it's something that you want to work with or you think fits into your routine. You don't want 20 essential oils and then you didn't even buy the diffuser yet, which is my next tip is I think diffusing is probably a really simple place to start um, to just become familiar with the sense of smells. And if, if you like a uh, blending them together, or if you want to buy a couple blends, you can kind of see what you like it and, and don't like. Are there common ailments that we can use aromatherapy for that maybe some people don't recognize that they can use it for? I think you mentioned headaches is one, but are like there are other like simple things that, oh, you're struggling with this. Maybe aromatherapy might help. I like to look at it more as supportive than like this is the only. So I will say that when I say this list, I tend to think that it's just part of like your toolbox. So it could, but it may not replace anything else you're doing, such as physical therapy or taking a medication. So I do want to start out by saying that, that it might, it's more, it could be, I more view them as supportive. Definitely common uh, would be a lot of 
the sleep and stress and anxiety, depression, anything in those realms can be, they can be very powerful and affecting mood and just making you maybe feel calming or help sleep a little bit better. And then from a topical standpoint, headaches can be a lot of pain can topical pain. Um, they might be helpful for that. They do have some pharmacology, like they have some evidence for that. And if you actually keep looking, they have a lot of antimicrobial properties. So you might see that they can help with dandruff or skin conditions, fungus infections, but again, making sure that it's just part of the toolkit as you're using those. That's actually quite a list. Yeah. The list can be even longer. I think if you keep looking that you could probably Google essential oils in any ailment and find something out there talking about it because it's been a practice. There's a lot of people that do clinical aromatherapy and um, there is evidence for nausea and vomiting is another one that came in to mind. Uh, So there is quite a list. So also as you're looking out there at this information, what we are going to use the internet, that's probably the quickest thing, but really looking at does that information seem reliable? Does it is it coming from an aromatherapist? Is it coming from a healthcare provider? Or is it is it coming from somebody that you really trust has that information versus somebody that said, Oh, I tried this once and it helped? I love that because you preempted my question, which was going to be, how do you filter through the information on the internet? And it sounds like you've given us a few we should Look at the source for one. It sounds Mm -hmm. like, is this person in their garage or is this person somebody who seems like they do this regularly? But I guess you could do it regularly from your garage too. But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's with any natural product remedy, right? I don't want to be dismissive of people's personal experiences by any means, but you should not take that and just run with it. Maybe look at a couple sources and see if there's anybody that has written more about it. If people are comfortable looking for articles, there are journal articles published on there. Um, There are national associations for aromatherapy that have some great journals and resources too. So those would be good places to keep in mind. That's pretty helpful. So actually, let's, let's talk about that. Two things come to mind. Number one, what sort of training is there for aromatherapy? And if you're going to look for what I presume is an aromatherapist, what should you look for? How would you know that this person is probably a good person to work with? So there is recognition of like certified aromatherapist. So not saying people won't just use that term or just use the term aromatherapist. But if somebody says they're aromatherapist, you could ask where they got their training from to confirm it if they don't have that publicly available. And then I know where I did my aromatherapy training, like you could look and see that I was a past student to kind of help if you want to take that next step further. So having that conversation with the person, if they're using terms such as certified aromatherapist, clinical aromatherapist, and even essential oil specialist you'll see is actually a common term, have um, done some more structured training and aromatherapy. So those would be the key, some of the key things to look for. And honestly, I would think if anybody has done training in aromatherapy, they would have no problem sharing what they've done and what their background is. So that could also just be red flag if you're like, oh, what do you, how long have you been doing this and where'd you get your information from? Kind of gauge that answer. Is it okay to, for want of a better word, self-administer the aromatherapy or should you always work with a professional? Like, do you need to tell your doctor that you're using 
aromatherapy for an ailment, for example? I love this question. (laughs) There's so many layers to this from like a healthcare background, patient advocacy background, and even a conflict of, I don't want to be judged background. I would say depends on what the ailment is a little bit. And if you're using it a topical essential oil for pain and you're asking them to treat your pain and they're asking what you've tried before, um, or if all of a sudden your pain went away and they're like, wow, what did you do? Like, of course, tell them what you did. And plus, if you're going to apply something topically with the essential oil, and if they're going to give you something, you want to make sure that they can check if there's any interactions with how that will interact. If you're diffusing it and using it for sleep, that might not be as important if there's not a reason for interactions with like what the provider's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a universal. I always would say, yes, tell them. But I know if I say that, people are going to be like, wow, <laughs> don't. <laughs> but here's what happens when I, I automatically just say all the natural things that I'm doing. So I think if, they're, if you're really going to somebody for a reason and they're managing you for it, you should tell them that's part of your yeah. treatment. It's funny that you, uh, in your response, I feel like something about shame came out and I, that was actually something I wondered. Like, I wonder if sometimes folks will be ashamed to say, no, I've been using peppermint. <laughs> it could be, yeah, it could be a variety of reasons. I know, or not even ashamed, but they are just afraid of being dismissed of it. Yeah. Like, oh, that doesn't work. Exactly. Right. Without maybe that person realizing it does work <laughs> or it could be helpful. So yeah, I think there's tons of emotions when you're going in that environment. And I heard you say that there are like journal studies and stuff that some of this does actually work, which is quite encouraging. Yeah. I read an article not that long ago about some hospitals are starting to implement aromatherapy in oncology wards for having like, right, that environment, like trying to have more of a not hospital feel environment all the time. So there's people that are, or places that are really looking to see, can we incorporate it. And then even some are using it like as a PRN inhale, like, um, so you can also inhale aromatherapy. It's called like aroma sticks or inhalers where you put like a concentrated drop on, and then you like smell that in the inhaler. So I've seen studies where they're going to do that. Like right before a kid's going to get a blood draw, you might study like, is this essential oil going to calm them down versus using something else. So there's even like clinical type more studies, not just the in the lab studies. Sounds really cool. And I actually have seen, I guess, aromatherapy jewelry, maybe might be what it's mm-hmm. called, like bracelets and things. Can you tell us, Stacey, the difference between herbalism and aromatherapy? So also depending on where you read, there's going to be definitely controversy of uh, is aromatherapy a branch of herbalism or are they two separate things? So I'm not going to answer that question because it's not been answered clearly. But I also have a strong interest in herbalism and studying herbals and actual plant medicine. And as I mentioned earlier, I do not ingest essential oils and I, I don't recommend it because there's teas that are out there that are very powerful and using whole plant medicine in a different way. So I'd probably say the big difference that I've seen looking at the both is aromatherapy has its utility, but it's very concentrated essential oils. And when you look at herbalism, yeah, maybe you could argue that aromatherapy is a part of that because it's part of 
the whole plant study of uh, it incorporates plants in the study of plants. But herbalism generally takes the whole plant approach of let's see what we can make with the whole plant and tinctures and teas and infusing oils, um, not just pulling out um, the essential oil piece of it. So there's definitely some overlap between the two. Um, I use them both in different ways. Um, you can actually use them both across the board. So if I'm making like an herbal salve, sometimes I'll add a couple drops of essential oil to make it smell a little bit better in there from a scent standpoint. So there is definitely overlap between the two. But because the field of plants is so broad, you can see why there are some people that go in more of an herbal plant approach and some more an aromatherapy approach. You're never going to know everything. But I think you should be familiar with both. I want to add one more thing with this because I also tend to see with aromatherapy, people want to see it more prescriptive almost sometimes of like, oh, I can just figure out I use two drops three times a day in this oil for my pain um, where I don't think we should be doing that. That's not really the purpose of essential oils, but in herbalism, didn't get that sense as much. I think people respect like, okay, we're going to see, you know, how much tea we're going to use. It's not as, it's more whole plant. Now, Stacey, what got a pharmacist interested in this world (laughs) of plants and aromatherapy? (laughs) So actually another pharmacist got me interested in it a long time ago. They were selling aromatherapy or essential oils through one of the big companies that tend to do the um, that kind of pathway. And they were talking about it. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll learn about them a little bit. And then as I was just going going through my health journey, I had these like five bottles of aromatherapy essential oils I had sitting on my shelf I never touched. And then I was like, all right, I'm ready to like learn a little bit. So I started reading about them and I was like, oh, wow, like this is great. I'm a very structured learner. So I'm like, I'm going to keep learning about aromatherapy. I'm just going to take this course and keep learning about it. And then in my journey of learning about aromatherapy, I felt like something was missing. And that piece that was missing was learning about like the whole plant. Like, why are we putting one drop of lemon essential oil? Why aren't we actually just using the lemon? Or why are we using peppermint essential oil? Why aren't we using all of peppermint? So that's kind of what ventured me into learning more about herbalism and like more of the whole plant, not just the essential oil piece of a plant. Those are fantastic questions. It's a very good question. What's the answer? Yeah. So the, I mean, it's obviously plant specific, but they have different chemical compounds. So essential oils are uh, just a certain part of the plant that's very concentrated. And um, if you use peppermint, like peppermint tea, you can get some of the essential oils if you have it enclosed Mm -hmm. Um, they can get in there and you go smell the vapors, but you're getting different chemical components out of the peppermint into your tea, not just essential oils. So they have different um, properties. So it does somewhat base on the plant, but they're slightly, yeah, they're just slightly different chemical ways of using a plant on the science-y side, I'm sure. Without, (laughs) if I weren't a pharmacist, somebody might have explained that a little bit better in terms of a... No, like you really got me thinking, you know? (laughs) Like if we eat the um, lemon, is it just as efficacious as if I used lemon oil for something. They have completely different actually parts. So lemon essential oil comes from the rind Mm -hmm. of the lemon. So when you do like lemon zest, like you're Uh getting more, that would be more what part of the lemon that you would use for the essential oil. And that's why lemon essential oil smells just like what you would think a lemon would smell like, where Uh some essential oils are like, this does not smell like what I thought it was going to smell like. 
And then, yeah, so it's just different properties. Um, such as those are very uplifting and they're putting then cleaners. And if you use the whole plant, if you don't include the rind, no, you're not going to get some of that antimicrobial properties that you do if you make lemonade. You said people can sometimes be prescriptive with or want to be prescriptive with aromatherapy. For example, let's put two drops. And then you went on to say, but that's not actually the purpose. What is the actual purpose? Can you expand on that? To me, when we're using plant medicine and even aromatherapy is trying to figure out what works for you. So you might start with two drops. That's fine. You need need to start somewhere. And I am a pharmacist, so I do tend to go back to my drop tendencies and counting, but it shouldn't be somebody just tells you what to do and what to take. If you don't like that smell and they're telling you, you have to use two drops for sleep and you're like, I can't. This is where you have the power of saying, this plant's not for me. This essential oil is not for me. Let's try something else for sleep. So I think we get really hung up on like, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? But I think connecting with the plant, seeing if two drops works, if not, maybe use three the next time, or maybe in a couple of weeks, you're like, I'm not using any of this. It's not feeling right to me. So you have more of that intuition piece when it comes to herbals and aromatherapy. Yes, there's science, but there is also intuition in there. That's really interesting. I know you wear many hats, uh, pharmacist, advocate, uh, <laughs> aromatherapist. What would you say if someone has perhaps a very traditional provider who doesn't buy into these ideas, but they want to advocate for its use in their treatment? How would you recommend they approach that conversation? In general, I would say asking questions about what they know and why they're not comfortable. So sometimes I get the sense that healthcare providers, and I've done this in the past, will be like, oh, I don't recommend it. And then be like, and now reflecting back on those years, I was like, it's not that I don't recommend it. It's that I know nothing about it. So I can't make a recommendation. So kind of maybe just asking some of those questions of, is is it because they don't know and they're actually saying they're not going to recommend it and it can't be part of your treatment plan because I don't recommend it because it's not safe? Or is it because I don't recommend it because I know nothing about it and I'm not comfortable making a recommendation? So I always think that's kind of a good starting place is to kind of open up that conversation of like, why not like be attacking why, (laughs) but like, why is it? um, Is there any literature out there? And if they're like, I don't know, that's not my wheelhouse, then we have to do some work on our like we have to respect that boundary of the provider and maybe come back next time and be like, can I look it up and do some research? Can you tell me what my treatment plan is? I'm Maybe you're going to hire an aromatherapist or maybe you know an aromatherapist and say like, I'm going to do this in collaboration. Can like, can I communicate this with you? Are you okay with that piece at least? Are you going to kick me out of your practice? Like, what are you going to do if I do do this? And kind of just open up more of that dialogue and get a clear sense of what they're doing. Um, like I said, I, I, yeah, would it be nice if every physician was also an aromatherapist and herbalist and every pharmacist had that background? But I'm the herbalist that I know, like, and the aromatherapist I know. Even though I say I'm a certified aromatherapist, I went through the training. I, I don't practice clinical aromatherapy. I, I didn't take that extra step. Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable making tons of recommendations for people I work with at my day job. I would feel more comfortable saying, here's what I know and what I don't know. And I do know quite a bit, but I think it's even as much as I know, I would say you might need a clinical aromatherapist to like help you through through this or clinical herbalist and access some different resources. One person can't be in charge of everything. Oh my gosh, absolutely not. (laughs) 
especially yeah. for providers who spend so many years in school to begin with. I can't even that. <laughs> yeah. And I see from a patient standpoint, it's hard, right? Like it would be so nice when I was going through to have that like one person when I <laughs> that says like, here's all your 18 different things on one place. And would it be awesome if there was like aromatherapists and physician's office would probably be like my dream or having like herbalists and anybody else like all in one pocket and you just kind of Saw them yeah, all. like a one-stop shop for all your needs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, you saw the provider. Here's your trans. Talk to the pharmacist. They're going to educate you. And then the herbalist is going to give you some tips on like some su- mental health support while you're going through this tough time. If you want to try anything for that. And here's some great sleep. That would be lovely. I really like how you, your recommendation on how to approach that um, conversation. I think that was great. As we wrap up, Stacey, any closing thoughts, any last thoughts on this topic people should consider? My last closing thought, since we just talked about the value of aromatherapists and herbalists, is that to be mindful that there are people with a lot of expertise out there. Yes, it's hard to filter through if you trust their expertise or um, because a lot of people are selling essential oil products that might not have different trainings. But I think to kind of at that and remember you don't have to be a MD aromatherapist, a PharmD aromatherapist and and that people have a lot of knowledge when they've gone different pathways to get to that knowledge. Wonderful. Thank you for coming and sharing this other aspect of your practice with us so that we can learn a little bit more about aromatherapy. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Some key takeaways included being mindful when using higher concentrations of essential oils around children. Don't apply undiluted essential oil to the skin. And if you're interested in using essential oils, but your provider is hesitant, it may be worthwhile to explore whether they are not recommending it because it's unsafe or because they don't know enough about it to feel comfortable making that recommendation. Exploring the reasoning may help you guys to find a happy medium. Don't forget, I've created a downloadable medication list for you. To get it, please go to the link in the show notes and click download your free medication list. I hope you learned something from the episode and until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.